the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. We made it to Friday, February 18th, 2022. Sometimes it's hard to resist the temptation to say, I told you so. Sometimes we just suffer paying the price of being right by appearing to be wrong at the time. Sometimes we relish we relish vindication. And but one reason, none of this is particularly a noble look, but one reason is it doesn't matter and it will not matter. There is a reason, after all, the world needed Einstein to make famous the saying that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And there is an even more important reason that quote still circulates thousands of times every day in the English-speaking world. We've never absorbed the lesson. It used to be regularly attributed to Abraham Lincoln, though he never said it. The, um, the ten cannots, you've probably heard of. You cannot bring about prosperity by discouraging thrift. You cannot strengthen the weak by weakening the strong. You cannot help little men by tearing down big men. You cannot lift the wage earner by pulling down the wage payer. You cannot help the poor by destroying the rich. You cannot establish sound security on borrowed money. You cannot further the brotherhood of man by inciting class hatred. You cannot keep out of trouble by spending more than you earn. You cannot build character and courage by destroying men's initiative and independence. It wasn't Lincoln, but a Presbyterian minister much later who wrote that. Still, the verities in that list of 10 are pretty good rules of life, as is that older Decalogue so many more of us know. But do we ever absorb these lessons, lessons so obviously they were written on our hearts as much as in our minds before they even really ever needed to be written down on paper? Abraham Lincoln did actually have something close to the above, and it's just as good political and economic surety as anything else. In 1864, he wrote, quote, the strongest bond of human sympathy outside of the family relation should be one uniting working people. This should not lead to a war upon property or the owners of property. Property is the fruit of labor. Property is desirable, is a positive good in the world. That some should be rich shows that others may become rich and hence is just encouragement to industry and enterprise. Let not him who is houseless pull down the house of another, but let him work diligently and build one for himself, thus by example assuring that his own shall be safe from violence when built. Close quote. In fact, Lincoln spent his life trying to remind and reify the natural rights and truths of the universe as applicable to the way we govern ourselves. He had a pretty good lodestar for all that, our founding, our Declaration of Independence. All these things make total sense. They are, in fact, common sense as a result. And yet we don't abide them. We ignore them. And we have to learn them again and again 
only every time we violate them. You can say this about all kinds of policies, from economic and social policies that will raise the deficit and debt to economic and social policies that will improve the economy, both generally and individually, providing savings, opportunity, and growth. And you can do it with other social policies as well. You want a culture that esteems death more than life or puts life and death on an even moral plane or just discounts the value, respect, and care for life? Easy. Institute or tolerate policies that denigrate or even destroy life. I have to confess, parenthetically, I always respected the phrase Black Lives Matter, but thought it should have applied to abortion policy. Think about it half a moment. As Michael Novak put it once, abortion has swept through the black community like a scythe, cutting down every fourth member. Consider what 20 million more African-American lives in this country would have meant to the black community, the difference from giving 42 million souls to this country to 62 million. The difference between constituting 12% of the U.S. population to 18% ceteris paribus. And it helped further if it weren't done by the founding, funding, and administration of mostly white activists. But no, the culture of life has been degraded generally, and black lives do not seem to matter to the abortion culture or industry. And we sit around wondering how we come to live in a country where even born life can be treated so casually when it isn't being treated so caustically. We wonder what message we could possibly be giving to children for them to absorb the message that life can be cheap. So though I always thought the phrase Black Lives Matter was a good one, or at least clever in conveying a message, I knew it was a bad phrase when it came to attacking a problem that leads to about 20 controversial police shooting deaths of the unarmed every year. After all, if you took last year, you'd have found that to be the case of six black souls, according to the Washington Post database. If you took the year before, it would be 18. If you took the year before that, it would be 12. All awful, all too many, and yes, all also requiring complete investigations as we aren't establishing whether they were just whether they were just justifiable shootings or not, just the universe of unarmed black shootings by cop, just or not. It all reminds of C.S. Lewis's line, we direct, the fashionable, we direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is least in danger and fix its approval on the virtues nearest to the vice which we are trying to make common. The game is to have them all running about with fire extinguishers whenever there is a flood, and all crowding to that side of the boat, which is already nearly gunnel under. In other words, why do we misorient priorities to such a fairly well? Lewis says something interesting, too, a few sentences later. Quote, cruel ages are put on their guard against sentimentality, feckless and idle ones against respectability, lecherous ones against puritanism, and whenever all men are really hastening to be slaves or tyrants, we will make liberalism the prime boogie. He's using liberalism to mean openness or freedom. So when the Black Lives Matter movement reinvigorated in 2020 and sought so much countenance from the public, schools, elected officials, museums, nonprofits, athletic organizations, you name it, I thought it a bad idea and counseled against making forced confessions of fealty to that cause or forced confessions of your own internal, hitherto undiscovered racism and bigotry 
they demanded of you to confess institutionally, personally, or otherwise. There were a few reasons. First, I have always opposed distinguishing individuals and thus helping or punishing them based on immutable characteristics, signs and symbols and essentials individuals have nothing to do with and cannot change. Second, I thought and always thought beyond being a social malum and say it would lead to further racial consciousness and thus racial division. Third, I took note the movement's set of demands and that they had some eerily un-American elements like dismantling the Western prescribed notion of the family while pushing the support for mothers and saying zip, zero, nothing about fathers. Not only did I recognize that plank is coming right out of Chapter 2, Karl Marx's Communist Manifesto, I thought of all social science, really, in thinking, well, if helping the black human being in America is the goal, maybe less families and less fathers is a really bad idea that will help contribute to putting that already challenged boat, Gunnel, under. But then when I read that the co-founders of the movement were Marxist, in their words, trained Marxists, it all made perfect sense. What did not make perfect sense, in fact, what made for perfect nonsense, was how few people cared and how many were willing to genuflect before and in front of this banner and movement. Now we learn, courtesy of the research of our friend Wilford Riley, donors to that organization coughed up billions of dollars to it, B, billions, and a lot of it unaccounted for. Patrice Coulors, after all, only owns homes that price out to just over $3 million, not billion. And we learn further of some of the accounting he spoke to us about earlier this week. Millions of dollars from BLM were given to organizations with names like TransUnited, the Audrey Lords Project, TransJustice, Black Trans Circles, the Transgender District, the Black Trans Travel Fund, the Okra Project, For the Gworls, G-W-O-R-L-S, the TransJustice Funding Project, the Trans Housing Coalition's Homeless Black Trans Women Fund, Black Trans Media, and Black Trans Femmes in the Arts. That what you thought you were given to when you were given to Black Lives Matter? It was always about the cadre that always surrounds Marxism. It was never about the name. Always look to the ideology of any movement or organization. China can call itself a people's republic. It is, in actuality, neither. North Korea can call itself the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. It is none of those things. It's not for the people. It's not democratic. It's not a republic. And the USSR's constitution could preambulate that it was for the state of the whole people expressing the will and interests of the workers, peasants, and intelligentsia, the working people of all the nations and nationalities of the country whose will and interests it couldn't have given two rubles for. It cared for the leadership, the elites, the self-selected elite leadership of the country, complete, complete with fancy food, cars, mansions, or dachas that nobody outside of the Politburo could afford, very much like Patrice Coulors. But defer and genuflect before the elites in this country did, and never able to concede error or wanting to be on the wrong side of an unaffiliated cadre organization in the Marxist melange of our politics, the liberals and the left of this country would do everything to protect the concept and organizational status and credibility of something titling and casting itself 
in a woke, racial, innocent name. But now here we go again. If a problem isn't stopped, it will get worse. And if common sense isn't taken account of, the problem will exacerbate. A mayoral candidate in Louisville, Kentucky, Craig Greenberg, was being attacked by a young black man who tried to assassinate him, busting into Greenberg's office and firing his gun at him. Thank God the alleged assailant missed, striking only Greenberg's sweater. That was Monday of this week. Wednesday, two days ago, the alleged assailant was back on the streets where he is today, thanks to bond raised by the Black Lives Matter organization, $100,000. The alleged attempted assailant is 21 years old and a leftist. The target, Mr. Greenberg, is a Democrat. We are watching violence explode in this country. We are seeing youth violence rise. And yet the policies we keep supporting in plain and open sight from Marxist organizations are hurting all kinds of people, taking all kinds of lives, black, Jewish, white, Hispanic, all lives. As a former Queens, New York district attorney recently wrote, by aiming for racial equity in criminal justice rather than focusing solely on deterring and responding to crime, Policymakers seem to have neglected the foundational purpose of law and order. What has followed is a sharp rise in the victims of crime. Hmm. Imagine that. By neglecting justice, we get more injustice. But it gets worse. We have released thousands of prisoners before their time. We have loosened bail requirements. We have relaxed parole policies. We have changed the language in some places of convicted felon to now read justice-involved person, we have redefined felonies, and we have told the criminal class in major cities we will not arrest or prosecute property crimes that fall below certain thresholds of dollar damage, even when those numbers are in the five figures. In Los Angeles, the DA said his office will not prosecute at all certain crimes ranging from resisting arrest to drugs to making criminal threats. Back to Mr. Lewis, we continue to clamor for those very qualities we are rendering impossible. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. You know what the name of the book is where that paragraph comes from? The Abolition of Man. Just so, here's a thought. How about we stop rewarding Marxism here and commence stopping it? It is, after all, the ideology behind the movement that has abolished more men, black, white, Jewish, you name it, than any other. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602-508-0960. Cracking down on the truckers in Canada has commenced. Seems like there have been uh, at least several dozen arrested. I uh, send my uh, thoughts out uh, and uh, best of hopes uh, to them, uh, as well as my support. I taped a um, podcast with Bill Bennett today. It'll air or land, as they say, next week. And uh, we spent, I don't know, the hour, I would say we spent a good half of it, 50 percent, on the truckers and uh, the Canada 
uh, situation. I, I, I'd like to say a few more words about it here with you, some of what we've talked about. But before I do, this is actually a part of what we he and I did talk about, which was, you know, who is the left championing? Who is the left championing these days? And it's interesting not only who they are championing, it's interesting who they're kicking. Who are they kicking down? Who are they who are they kicking in the teeth? Who are they putting their boot on the throat of? And uh, before I share my thoughts on that, Bacha uh, Unger Saigon, a uh, friend of ours, she's been on the show, she'll be back, delightful per- writer, smart, um, describes herself, she describes herself as a leftist. Um, and I'm guessing that at some point she'll either stop describing herself that way or we will all become leftists of her ilk. Either way would be fine. She writes, it's been quite a few weeks for our neighbors to the north. Three weeks ago, a ragtag grassroots campaign of truckers made their way to the Canadian capital to protest a government vaccine mandate. As of last night, two of the organizers, what has been by all accounts a peaceful protest, have been arrested, giving Canada, a country that bills itself a democracy, its first political prisoners in recent memory. That number's gone up. It's now dozens have been arrested, more than dozens. On Thursday, yesterday, Chris Barber was arrested while Tamara Litch had her personal bank account frozen and was detained on a charge of, quote, aiding and abetting mischief, close quote, a trumped-up charge resulting directly from a naked power grab by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Instead of meeting with his citizens to hear their demands, Trudeau has spent the past three weeks smearing them as hateful and violent. On Monday, he became the first Canadian leader to invoke the Emergencies Act, giving his government a series of draconian power. Without one iota of evidence that the violence of the truckers' protests has ever exceeded anything beyond honking, Trudeau broadened the scope of Canada's anti-money laundering and terrorist financing rules, putting the striking truckers on a par with terrorists, suspending their civil liberties and allowing banks to freeze the personal accounts of anyone linked to them. Now Trudeau is having them arrested, and on Friday morning, today, he canceled a parliamentary session in which his edict was due to be voted on and could have potentially been revoked by the House of Commons or the Senate. Can I pause right there right now and ask you what it sounds like? Invoking the Emergencies Act, arresting people on trumped-up charges, and dissolving a parliamentary meeting where this will be debated and voted on? Does it sound like anything familiar to you at all? It should. It should. I'll say more, and she'll say more when we come back. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studios. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Let me put in a word for one of our sponsors, the Midas Gold Group. Think about the people managing your finances at the national and federal level. Immigration policy and the border, COVID, Afghanistan, Ukraine. It's the same people who managed all those things. Their reckless spending and dollar printing is likely to end in financial chaos that threatens both your savings and traditional investments, just as their efforts in management of those other important policies have gone 
South. Protect yourself and your assets with a call to Midas Gold Group. The experts at Midas understand how gold and silver can add profitability, protection, and privacy to your finances. You won't encounter pushy salespeople at Midas. They can help you make an informed decision about precious metals and how they might fit into your portfolio. You can schedule a free no-obligation consultation with Midas Gold Group. Call them at 480-360-3000. It's 480-360-3000. Or find them online at MidasGoldGroup.com. One word, MidasGoldGroup.com. I'm reading um, from Bacha uh, Unger Sargar's piece about a larger issue I'm talking about, what the left cares about and who the left speaks up on. Uh, on on whose behalf the left speaks up these days. She's talking about Canada, and she says, she writes, the truckers' protest began with Justin Trudeau smearing the truckers as Nazis and fascists, a line gladly repeated day in and day out by reporters and pundits in the elite liberal media. It is now ending with those same elites cheering on Trudeau's authoritarianism. Although the media have promoted Trudeau's falsehoods and cheered his overreach, many Canadians see the protests for what they actually are. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association is taking the federal government to court for invoking the Emergency Act, Emergencies Act. It's possible for protests to be both disruptive and peaceful, Noah Mendelssohn of Eve, the executive director, rightly argued. Others have pointed out Trudeau's hypocrisy. In 2020, the Canadian prime minister, through his support, behind both Black Lives Matter's disruptive protests and protesting farmers in India who were blocking major highways. Canada will always be there to defend the right of peaceful protest, Trudeau said back then. My, how things have changed. Instead of defending the right of peaceful protest, Trudeau has tarred it as terrorism and has seized the personal bank accounts of his political adversaries. It's a terrifying development for a country that calls itself a democracy to use such excessive means to quash dissent. Now think about it in the context of them attacking their enemies as fascists. Even going by Canada's own laws, Trudeau's invocation of the Emergencies Act is surely unconstitutional as it requires a national emergency so serious that it cannot be resolved by any other means. Trudeau has not met with the truckers, even once to attempt to defuse the situation. So how could he possibly know that he couldn't resolve the emergency any other way? Trudeau's astonishing move came after he spoke to President Biden last week, who demanded harsher federal action against the truckers, who were at the time blocking the Ambassador Bridge, a major artery in U.S.-Canadian commerce. In the fight between democracy and commerce, Biden chose commerce, and Trudeau obliged. The police went on and cleared the bridge over the weekend before Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act. It bears pointing that out. Let me repeat, the bridge was cleared without the use of the Emergencies Act. President Biden also had his Department of Homeland Security, a department that was established to fight terrorism, on high alert in case of copycat protests in the U.S., and across liberal media, there has been incredulity at Trudeau's hitherto reluctance to deploy authoritarian opposition to the protests. The same elite liberal media that back in 2020 showed us burning buildings behind Chiron's reading fiery but peaceful protests now shows us footage 
of bouncy castles, community kitchens, and truckers in makeshift hot tubs while describing this as insurrection by air horn, a threat to democracy and sedition. As Trudeau actually suspends democracy, America's elite liberal media have projected that travesty onto his victims. When did liberals become the side demanding the suspension of civil liberties? When did the left start to oppose the working class? What liberal can watch a video of a woman being arrested for organizing what remains a nonviolent protest and say, I stand by that? Too many, it appears. The truckers' convoy keeps revealing uncomfortable truths for those in power, like the fact that the divide over COVID restrictions is a class divide between the elites who work from home and continually demand more restrictions on workers who don't. Let me say a little bit more about all this when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, brought to you in part by the good people at Balance of Nature. Good people because they put out a great product, a product I use every single day. With one daily dose, you get a blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables designed to maintain, protect, and even repair your health. You run at pretty good speeds. I don't mean jogging. I mean in your daily life. If it's burning, you need Balance of Nature fruits and veggies. The Maintain Blend has tomatoes, papayas, grapes, apples, bananas, wild blueberries, and aloe vera. The Protect part has orange, tart cherry, cranberry, grapefruit, apple. The Repair part, raspberries, pineapple, mango, sweet cherries. And it's all in the same capsule. Balance of Nature, all natural, every day. Check them out at balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. Very important if you order their fruits and veggies, make sure to use the discount code BALANCE, balanceofnature.com, discount code BALANCE. I am uh, reading from uh, Bacha uh, Sargon Unger's piece about the left and who they're kicking these days. Civil liberties are apparently something only people with money deserve. If you're working class, the government reserves the right to seize your bank accounts. Big tech reserves the right to steal donations made to you and redistribute your money to causes it deems more worthy. Journalists reserve the right to call up private citizens on the phone and demand to know why they gave 40 bucks to some working class truckers freezing their butts off in the Canadian winter. And rich liberals are cheering all of this on from the safety of their homes, of course. The left is now on the side of power. Liberal media are on the side of the government and they take political dissent personally. And what leftist elites are doing with their power is setting a new standard for who deserves basic civil rights. If you're working class and spent the pandemic braving the plague and delivering food to the doorsteps so that they could stay at home tweeting, you can forget about your rights. Whatever money you have left in your coffers is theirs for the taking. If the pandemic began the greatest transfer of wealth from the lower classes to the rich, political power and civil rights seem to be following. The elites are sending a clear message. Civil liberties are the exclusive rights of the pajama class. If the past two weeks have taught us anything, it's how hollow the accusations from elite media leftists should ring, how quickly accusations of fascism are followed by the cheering on of fascism via political rest, and how deep 
the projections run. It has revealed how quickly support for dissent and peaceful protest evaporates when it threatens those in power. And it has told you exactly who has that power. Thank you, Bacha. I'm going to get her on next week to talk more about this and explore it further. She makes a point, a sentence that's so clear-headed and so commonsensical and so obviously right before our faces. I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me to say it this way before, and it's this. The left is now on the side of power. The left now is the power, and the liberal media is on the side of the left. It's on the side of the powerful. Let's unpack that thought for a few moments now that I'm thinking more and more about it, shall we? A lot of us have um, – I mean I was read – I was read. I was taught. I was trained in the Saul Alinsky methodologies and books, Rules for Radicals and Reveille for Radicals. Many of you are familiar with that effort, Saul Alinsky's. Keep in mind why he wrote that book. He tells you in it, Rules for Radicals, he tells you he wrote the book for two reasons. One he told you about. The other he didn't. He didn't think he, think, think he needed to. The first reason was, the main reason, the one he tells you about, is this book is about the powerful and how to take the power from them. He writes that in his book. This book is about the powerful and how to take that power from them. What he doesn't tell you, what he didn't need to, is what pretty much everyone knew, conservatives, liberals, you name it, was that the left was not in power. The left did not have power. The left in America in the 60s and in the 70s was the dissenting movement in America. It was the opposition. It was the counterculture, the counterculture. As Bacha points out, that changed. That's over. That is no longer true. I don't know how many of you have watched Mad Men or go back if you didn't live through the 60s or 70s for that matter. But if you read about it or watch depictions of it. It was a fairly moderate America, a fairly moderate swath of America that ruled this country. The kind of Democrats we elected were John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson. They were the kind of Democrats that today would very likely not be Democrats in today's Democratic Party. They were very moderate. And that's the closest you got to liberalism governing this country. You might even call them in some respects, in some respects, neoconservative Democrats, in some respects. But the left was not in power. The left was, again, the counterculture. All those riots at the Chicago Convention of 1968, the Abby Hoffmans, the Jerry Rubens, how about your Next standard deviation over the weather underground, the black power movements. How about your Youth Socialist League? Who were they protesting at the 1968 political convention? 
It was the Democratic Party political convention. Think about that for a moment. I think people often forget it, but remember it. They were trying to change the Democratic Party. By 1972, they effectively had. And certainly by Barack Obama, they had certainly taken the power over of the Democratic Party. And clearly, somewhere between Barack Obama and now, they took over power in this country. I don't just mean political power. I mean cultural power. I mean not just the schools, but the corporations. The left used to run around with bumper stickers attacking corporations. People, not profits, was a popular one. Um, That's the power these days. It's not just the left in schools. It's not just the left in corporations. Think about what was done at Levi Strauss earlier this week. It's the left in athletics. It's the left in professional sports, which also used to be considered a somewhat moderate, if not tilting conservative thing, particularly the NFL. The left is in power. Saul Alinsky won for a lot of reasons, which I'll try and unpack a little bit when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson, live from the Guns Etc. studios, and we'll be right back. Thinking about this uh, stunning concept that we have to get our heads around, that the left is in power now. They are no longer the dissent movement. They are no longer the counterculture. They are the dominant leadership in all things political and cultural. Um, I was thinking about it in the context, I am thinking about it in the context of Saul Alinsky's two books, particularly the more famous of the two, not Reveille for Radicals, but Rules for Radicals. And the rules do exist. I mean, there are identifiable rules. And what I found most interesting in looking at those rules are rules number eight and rules and rule number nine, rules number eight and nine. Number nine is the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. The threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. You want to know one, inde- one, 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 one index of how the left is in power? They do threaten, but then they do execute. It's not that their threats are empty or more scary than what they're actually doing. They issue the threats and they do it. Why? Because, how? Because they are in power. It's rule number eight that is, I think, the most instructive for we who are out of power. Maybe we all need our weekend to read rules for radicals since... I guess we're the radicals now. Moderate Americans are now the radicals. But it's rule number eight that I think is possibly the most important because it's the easiest to lose sight of. Keep the pressure on. Keep the pressure on. Don't give up after a small victory and don't give up after a small or large loss. I don't want us given up after San Francisco any more than I wanted us given up after Virginia. I don't even think San Francisco is what most conservatives think it is or was. 
But keep the pressure on. Continually ask. Continue to do so. And let's hope these truckers stand strong and hold the line. Because if they do, they should instruct us on how we should stand strong and hold the line. And if this trucker convoy gets going here in the United States, as I keep reading about, if it does, I'll be the first to do whatever I can to lead a campaign to help them out financially or any other way. This is about the heartland because it's about our country and our heart, our soul. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. If you are on hold, I want to take your calls, but I have a guest coming up. So continue to hold or give us a call back in about a half hour. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.